This is podcast number 205, entitled Unforeseen, and that was Eli's Coming by the Three Dog Night, which was published, that song, I think, in 1969, and it sets the stage for the theme of this cast, which is Unforeseen Death. Now, before you turn off immediately and say, yikes, um, I'm going to try to make this funny, I'm going to try to make this light, I'm going to try to make this literary and uh, bring it together in a song by a much celebrated and esteemed uh, singer at the end. But I wanted to talk about Unforeseen Death because I was reflecting the other day on... um, uh, on my own, uh, but in light of a conversation that I had had years ago when we lived uh, in South Carolina with someone who at that time was the age that I am, and I'm really astonished looking back on it that this person to whom I was speaking then um, could have um, really gotten away with the way she saw life, and I didn't challenge her because I didn't have the understanding, let alone the authority, um, might not have challenged her if I did have either the understanding or the authority, uh, to really call into question her views. And what uh, she was telling me, she was about my age, which is now 64, 
maybe 65 she was. And she was um, anticipating the death of her father. And what was striking, her father had, it appeared, and we believed, and she was certain, uh, quite a lot of money. And the inheritance of that money and real estate would have helped her life, this particular person, a great deal. Um, and she was counting on it. And she was 65, and she'd organized, uh, she'd consulted a lawyer, and she'd organized certain property aspects of the what she believed was the um, um, estate of her mother into such a way that it was slightly prejudicial against two brothers that she had and could have been um, probably easily challenged in court, which, um, in fact, it later was. She was also waiting for something that gave no indication of happening. Her mother, while elderly, was in good health, and usually when you're waiting for someone to die, they wait around a lot longer. It's when you let go your own hopes, as it were, hate to say it, or your own anticipations or your own even attached love that they are somehow able to die. There's, quote, what we today call a space is made for them to go. But she was not giving this space up. And I interrogated her because the way she figured it is that if her mother died within, say, the next two years, she would be 67. She was almost certain that the um, arrangements that she had made would be challenged in court. And at the very earliest, she probably wouldn't have access to the land, to, to the land primarily until she was about... Um, uh, say, 69 or 70 at the earliest. And then, of course, there was the question of the, of the development of the land. It was valuable land, <clears throat> but nevertheless. So she was really saying that she might not be able to realize the... Um, the um, funds that were going to make a difference in her life until she was about 71. And I thought at the time, well, you know, that's awfully late. And secondly, my experience since then has entered to the place where these usually, these ideas are usually spoiled by some external thing. The land turns out to not be valuable, or as in the Magnificent Ambersons, the deed to the land has been replaced, or some other condition was put in the will or codicil that you didn't know about that renders the whole thing in a cocked hat because of something else or some other unknown person person, like in a Gauzeworthy novel, where the fellow has a mistress for 18 years, doesn't tell anybody, and the whole question is, will he leave everything of this really serious fortune to someone that nobody knows, and they all abhor? Well, this, uh, something along these lines did happen, and I won't tell you the ending of the story. It was a long time ago, and it's long past, but it did not, it was not a pretty picture then, and it became an even worse picture, and a great deal of ground was lost um, in terms of peace of mind, serenity, hope, and a clean conscience on behalf, on the part of almost everyone concerned. And I thought to myself, now, looking back on it, how could someone of the age of 65 actually think in these terms? And I really want to adjure you to beware of thinking humanly about putting your hopes in anything on this earth. I mean anything or any person on this earth in any ultimate way, adjuring you to question that as soon as possible because your death could come unforeseen. My own closest and long-timest, most long-time friend died very, very suddenly uh, this uh, last year, actually, uh, well, this year, from um, this year, from uh, COPD, and I am absolutely certain, although I was not there, and no one was there, and no one was near when he died in his own house. No one was even remotely near it geographically. And I am certain that as he began to realize that he was um, um, drowning and strangling and suffocating uh, to death, that he said, oh, damn, how did I let it get to this point? Oh, I... 
I'd now I'd, I'd change everything. <laughs> I'm certain at the actual moment, didn't we hear that uh, Gallup poll about all the people, the very few who have survived uh, jumping off uh, with a desire to end their own lives from the Golden Gate Bridge? Of the 11 that have survived, not a single one hasn't reported to the polling agency or whatever it was that at the moment that they actually, their feet left the platform and they jumped into the Pacific, the San Francisco Bay, they all said, oh, I wish I hadn't done this. Oh, shoot. I was wrong. Every single one said this. Well, if death comes to you unforeseen, that's what you're going to think, especially if you're not at peace. I was um, sitting the other night. Actually, I was lying in bed, getting ready to go to bed, listening to music. And uh, I think it was um, the Living Room Sessions by B.J. Thomas and Friends. And um, as I was going to sleep, I was having trouble clearing my throat. And I have a kind of nervous cough. And I had an awful lot to clear. I had an awful lot of material to clear my throat. It became compulsive, and I started coughing. Almost once it started, I couldn't stop, and there was a lot to clear. And I suddenly thought, my gosh, Mary's not here. She's away tonight on a trip, a necessary trip. My children are all away. My cell phone's in the bathroom getting recharged on the the actual... um, electrical outlet that absolutely works and doesn't turn off every other outlet in the place when you press it in. You know, how lazy people are and me, the first and foremost of the sinners. But anyway, I thought, you know, what if I actually died? What what if I started a habitual cough that turned into an actual cough and that couldn't somehow precipitated a flow of fluid into my throat or ENT area that actually did drown me? It has happened before to many, many people, and it happened to my dearest and closest longtime friend. What if that happened? I would say, oh, you know, God. I mean, all the things I would say, I'd say, oh, shoot. Um, There's a scene in a movie called Billion Dollar Brain from 1965, 66. That's really good, although awful. It's awful and yet somehow really good. I can't quite explain why it is. Probably because it has Francoise Dorliac, who was beginning to fade. And she died, I think, during post-production. So tragically, I've always thought so terribly about that. But um, in... uh, a billion dollar brain, someone's being ambushed and he jumps, he he he, he tries to get on a, a truck that's escaping this ambush by Soviet soldiers, machine gunners, and he jumps on the truck and he falls off the truck and he says, God damn it. I mean, he says, he, he, that, that, the last words as he falls off the truck are, because he, 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 he says, darn it, you know, I've fallen off. He stands up to try to shoot back and of course they shoot him down and the last word on his, uh, he simply fell off the truck because his grip wasn't hard and he was going too fast and he wasn't running quite fast enough. He miscalculated. He fell, faced, said a four-letter word, as it were, and was shot. And it's very pathetic. I mean, it's sad that that's how his life ended. Unforeseen death. Did he wake up in the morning thinking that was going to happen? Well, uh, this is really important. And I thought I would quote just to give you some final words on this. And then I'll close with a great song, I think. In the play Dara, Diaz and Delta, A.R.A. by Shahid Nadim, which was uh, performed in January of this year in the National Theatre in London, the aged king, who's a villain, a religious and personal villain, and yet uh, the playwright evinces sympathy for Aurangzeb, the 89-year-old king who's in such a bad way, morally, ethically, personally, conscience-wise, and in every conceivable way. Uh, He makes the old man sympathetic, and the old man says to his beloved, son. The last things he says before we hear the curtain, he says, he says to his beloved son, I know not who I am nor what I do. His son says, don't say so, father. 
and the character says, I have not the least liking for this deceitful, weary world. Well, if only Aurangzeb had had that wisdom about the deceitfulness and weariness of the world when he was 40, he wouldn't have had his brother executed. He wouldn't have turned into the... We're verging towards the area of what is sometimes called a monster of autocratic despotism. Not enlightened, not an enlightened despot, not Frederick the Great, the opposite. And um, he knows it. And he's, he sees, he's, he's ready for death in the sense that he asks his brother, who's long dead, to forgive him and intercede with Ahla. And he also sees that he's, all his hopes have departed this world. And uh, the word for unforeseen, I think it came from Alfred Lord Tennyson's uh, 18, what, late 1840, something like that poem, long poem, In Memoriam, which is one of the most probing and observant and deeply perceptive uh, sort of analyses of grief. I think it puts C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed in the Shade, although it is poetry and much earlier. But uh, Wordsworth is uh, talking, uh, not Wordsworth, Tennyson is talking at great poetic depth about the possible ways to understand the sudden death in Vienna of his wonderful friend, Arthur Hallam, and the unforeseen death of Arthur Hallam. And he's not talking from Arthur Hallam's point of view, but from his own. And the word unforeseen keeps coming back. And then I was thinking about that line in the poem, which I so warmly recommend to you. I think it's the greatest of all the romantic poems because it has a complete, as opposed to slightly pulling punches. I personally feel that Wordsworth slightly pulled his punches, just slightly in some of his great poems about death and um, mutability. But in Adonis, spelled A-D-O-N-A-I-S, one of the last poems that um, that um, uh, Percy Bysshe Shelley wrote uh, on the death of John Keats suddenly, the unforeseen death of John Keats, he comes to the conclusion, why linger, he says to himself, he, he says this first about Rome, Rome's as your sky, flowers, ruins, statues, music, words are weak, the glory they transfuse with fitting truth to speak. In other words, the 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 power of the message of the mutability and passing character of all things in the light of transiency and death and mortality. Even Rome's beautiful ruins cannot convey the way that the death of my beloved friend John Keats has now conveyed to me. And then he says, why shrink back my heart? Thy hopes are gone before. From all things here they have departed. That's um, stanza 53 in Adonis. From all things here they have departed. Now, this is really crucial. Have your hopes departed, or are you still attached to some person or some project or some memory or something about your life or something personal or impersonal that is actually that anvil around your leg that I talked about in the references to Marley's ghost last time? Have you? And if you haven't, you are not ready. It is absolutely crucial because, in fact, unforeseen death could come. I go to these services week after week after week in various Protestant churches, and they are of all one denomination, I might say, and they're all well-meaning, and they're all delivered with sincerity, but they never talk, they're all sort of a form of faith light, L-I-T-E, they never touch on the actuality of death, and the fact that everyone sitting in that worship space, that church, is facing something some sooner than later, and people have enormous issues that need to be abreacted, confessed, forgiven, dealt with, and profound 
profoundly um, seen through and unburdened and unshackled and freed from their hearts before they die. And the Roman Catholics do this better than we do, I'm afraid to say. I believe they do it better because they take very seriously, at least most of them do, that in the system that they have of confession and mortal sin and so forth and absolution and the mass and penance, they take seriously the fact that this is important. You don't want to die with unforgiven sin. You don't want to die with a burden holding that big burden, that anvil, that piece, that case, that box, clutching it. It's got to go. And if it doesn't go, your death will be unforeseen and you are in a very serious banner. So you must deal with it. It's absolutely crucial. And on that note, we listen to our great friend and great fave, whose last name was originally Zimmerman. And he will tell you better than I can possibly. God bless you all. Bye. Are you ready? Yeah.